Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week, we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc., etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show. And give us a follow on social media at pinkcollar underscore pod. Hello, everyone. We're coming to you live from from quarantine. And I would like to point out, as of the day that we are recording, it is one month till my birthday, which is, gosh, I don't even know how to, I wasn't that excited about it before, but now I'm just extremely depressed about it because i'm like oh i'm gonna probably be stuck at home <laughs> no we'll have a pod party for your yeah birthday. i was thinking i was like would it be super extra if i like forced all my friends to zoom me and like to celebrate we should definitely have a zoom party <laughs> what <laughs> yes please i'm that's all i want all i want for my birthday i'm like i don't because this is the year that i lose uh my parents health insurance so i was like (laughs) i feel too old to still be on my parents health insurance anyway and like i have health insurance lined up so i shouldn't really be complaining too much but it's still not a good feeling birthday it's like you get something taken away instead of given to you (laughs) after after you turn 21 like it really is all downhill from there (laughs) see i haven't been on my parents insurance since i was i don't know 19 And so this birthday was just like, oh, I'm just closer to 30. Whereas like everyone else, when they're turning 26, they're like, oh, my God, I'm losing this. And I'm like, see, out of pretty much everyone I've talked to, I'm the only one that is still on my parents' health insurance. Right. So all of my all of my other friends have um, pretty much stayed on their parents' health insurance and are trying to milk it for as long as they can. Well, now's the time to definitely lose my health insurance, you know, I do have more like lined up so it's it's fine I really don't have too much to complain about but um I mean that's like the milestone that I'm at so maybe for your birthday we'll get universal health care oh oh my gosh (laughs) that would be the dream I guess we'll we'll wait and see I'm not holding out hope though based on what's going on but anyway we've been staying in touch virtually since we are far apart anyway um I recently started rewatching Gilmore Girls because I feel like that's a really nice, like, nostalgia show that is super feel good. Yeah, and one of the best shows ever, in my opinion. <laughs> it's really good, but watching it, I feel like my opinions change about the characters every single time I watch it. So, same. We've been having really intense, like, text discussions, and we were almost like, uh, this is about to change into a Gilmore Girls podcast, but <laughs> they already have some of those out there, so it might be a little bit redundant, but... I mean, we can incorporate a little bit of Gilmore Girls in there. Nobody knows our opinions on it. I've been feeling, and, well, I feel like this is an unpopular opinion, but I've been feeling really empathetic towards Emily this time around. 
And I'm like, what does that say about me as a person? It says you're an empathetic person. (laughs) I'm just like putting myself in different people's shoes every time I watch the show. Maybe that's what I'll tell myself. But Dean still sucks and Jess and Rory should end up together. Uh That's my (laughs) The first time I watched it, I was like, oh my God, Rory is like the best thing ever. The last time I watched it, and I've rewatched the series like 10 times at least. I'm like, what a human trash bag. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Rory sucks. (laughs) um, I mean, I still love her, but I'm like, girl, mm, your privilege is showing. Put that away. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. Yeah. Uh, Dean definitely still sucks. But I will say, not including the Netflix reboot, I am actually Team Logan. So I don't think we can get into this because it, it actually will turn into um, a Gilmore Girls podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fair enough. <laughs> Today, we are doing scams. Yes, female con artist. Yeah, the the last two episodes have been a bit of a downers. So we were like, all right, we have to pick one where not as many people die at the hands of others. Or I don't really think, I mean, no one kills anyone in mine, but I'll get into it more later. Going into this, like a lot of what I say is going to be ridiculous, but I don't know whether my person knows better and is just like an awful person and then it's okay to laugh at her or if she is just like very mentally ill. And in that case, I kind of feel bad for her. But so we'll just keep that in mind as I'm going through. I'll, I'll go first this time since I think we're switching off. But um, to start, I won't share the titles of my sources because they give away a lot, um, but I'll put them in the podcast description as always. My information comes from who.com.au, skepticalinquire.org, and bbc.com. So today I'm going to be covering the story about Belle Gibson. Her actual name is Annabelle Natalie Gibson. She doesn't spell it with an H, so... Not as cool as you, but... Still a good name, though. (laughs) I don't know if you'll be saying that after this. But, um, so she was born in Tasmania in 1991. So this is in Australia. I think Tasmania is a state in Australia. I didn't do a great job at uh, geography, so don't don't quote me on that. But she, she was born in 1991, and her family ended up moving to Brisbane, and Belle, uh, she was 12 then, she went to live with a family friend. Um, so her mother's name is Natalie. Again, there's the name. Not spelled correctly, but hey, it is what it is. DeBello, um, her father is out of the picture. In later interviews, her mother referred to her father as only a sperm donor. So it doesn't seem like he was really a part of her life or that there was a, a healthy relationship there. She also had a brother named Nick. I will talk more about uh, her family relationships later on, but I don't want to give away too much in the beginning. So she ended up dropping out of school at the age of 16. She claimed that she had been homeschooled after that, but there wasn't really any records of this. We don't actually know. So she started working in a catering company later in her life. She started to get involved in the skateboarding community in 2008. I don't know if that's 
a bigger thing in Australia or maybe skateboarding was more popular in 2008. I have no idea. But um, in 2009, she got pregnant. And in 2010, she gave birth to her first child, Ollie, which is the name of your dog. So that's kind of funny. Yeah, very (laughs) creepy (laughs) connection there. That's like, well, like anytime I meet someone named or I don't know if I've ever, I've like met people named Peyton in my life. And I always want to be like, oh, that's my dog's name. But I feel like that's offensive to say to people. So I just don't. Good move. (laughs) Be like, I used your people name for my annoying smelly dog. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Anyway, um, so when Belle was 25, she began to develop a following on social media. She said that she was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer, which she was able to cure with a whole foods-based diet. So she went on to create an iPhone app. It was called The Whole Pantry. It won awards. It was the number one app in the app store for about a month when she had first made it. And she said that she was going to donate the proceeds of her app to to charities to, you know, support people who went through the same thing that that she did. She also wrote a book called The The Whole Pantry as well that had recipes and included tips for kind of following the same lifestyle she did. So the diet she promoted was labelless uh but it was you know gluten grain and mostly dairy and egg free she really focused on you know eating anti-inflammatory type things so there was a another wellness guru her name was jessica ainscoff um that was australia's best known well wellness guru guru i can't say that word um but bell had claimed that they were like best friends super close so jessica was diagnosed with a slow growing inoperable cancer when she was 21 that was just sad <laughs> i wasn't expecting that i know so it's really sad um so that happened when she was 21 she was really into um gerson therapy which involved five daily coffee enemas <laughs> drinking raw juices every hour um and having an organic vegetarian diet and so jessica unfortunately passed away when she was 29 um and that's that's really sad you know i can understand that someone in that position so young having you know such a terrible terrible disease might be desperate to try anything and while it's you know easy to laugh and be like coffee enemas like you were putting coffee up your butt five times a day um i think that just goes to show you know like how desperate that someone in that position really is and how easy it might be for someone to be manipulated you know you you want to do whatever is possible to help yourself get better and unfortunately she ended up passing away when she was 29 um and so Belle apparently showed up to the funeral she was distraught she made a huge scene which was a little strange because Jessica's agent said, you know, they met, but they didn't really have any type of relationship and something seemed to be a little bit off about Belle the whole time. Meanwhile, you know, Belle was saying that it's really important for her to be authentic and have integrity. This is actually a direct quote from from her book. So she was saying that too many people over edit themselves and there's not enough honesty out there. That's true, but it's it's human to feel sick to ask questions to search for answers um and she's saying but like i used to be insecure about that but now i'm i'm raw i'm honest and that's kind of the 
mindset that that she was putting out into the world so she you know even had plans to collaborate in building schools had aspirations to expand into international projects and at the height of her fame she was reportedly worth about four hundred twenty thousand dollars so that's australian dollars so it's a little bit off from us but you know it's close enough to the point where i didn't even bother looking it up it's a lot yeah uh it's it's a lot of money And so in 2015, rumors began to spread about the credibility of Belle's story. So her former friends had begun to circulate that she was perhaps lying about her medical conditions. Journalists began to look into these claims and Belle responded by starting to quietly take down things um, that she had had set off the internet. Hmm. Um, And so it appeared that she hadn't actually donated any of her money to charity like she had said she was going to uh, all of the profits she made off of her app and and from the books um so that was a little fishy and finally in april of 2015 bell admitted to uh the australian women's weekly magazine that she had never actually been diagnosed with cancer wow that's pretty messed up yeah so that was not great not the best so she was con- she continued to be under investigation she went on 60 minutes and you know after admitting that she didn't have cancer she kind of pulled back and said no it was these doctors they got it wrong they said um they said i had cancer and i believed them and you know this is this is on them it's like i've shouldn't have believed them but she was kind of shifting the blame over to someone else so she ended up uh being found guilty on five counts of consumer law and she was fined four hundred and ten thousand dollars good which is ten thousand dollars less than she had made off of everything so i'm not sure where they came up with that number the judge in her trial said she appeared to suffer from delusions and may have genuinely believed that she she was sick um so going back to her family her mother was interviewed and said she was really embarrassed at the claims that her daughter had made bell had claimed at some point um that she had to raise herself since the age of five and her mother said that's not right she's barely done a minute of housework in her life um and her and her mother apparently hadn't spoke four years before the whole scandal broke out so they didn't really have a close-knit relationship to begin with. And, you know, um, after the fallout, her family was definitely not being supportive on her behalf. Um, she had also falsely claimed before that her brother Nick, that I mentioned earlier, had autism. Huh. And he came out and said he was upset that she was making these claims. He didn't have autism. And this is kind of the way she always was. She was always trying to get attention from other people. So that's pretty much, you know, the facts of that case. On the one hand, I do wonder if she suffered from, you know, Munchausen. I know we talked about this a little bit last week with your case. I I do wonder if she genuinely believed and like convinced herself in her head that she was sick and that she was able to cure herself. So I don't, I'm just torn because... I want to be like, this is so ridiculous. You are like making this up. But 
I feel like she really might have been mentally ill. But at the same time, she didn't donate any of her money. So even if she did believe she was sick, she could have donated her money and she didn't. So who knows? Yeah, there's some thing. There's like an undertone of like maliciousness a little bit. Right, right. I feel like she definitely didn't have good intentions going in. But I also don't like I definitely think she needs some type of treatment and i think that there is some aspect of mental illness in there so i i feel for her a little bit in that sense but at the same time she really is not a great person and i think um i was reading the alternative medicine industry is worth billions of dollars and especially you know all the people that were following her people who are in the position where they have cancer and they feel like they don't have other options or they're willing to try anything that's just a really predatory position to be in to take advantage of of people you know that that are just so desperate for for anything to help yeah and i think the regular like medical industry almost makes it worse for people and so they kind of turn Mm -hmm. to like alternative medicine on one hand you have like okay, to cure cancer, we're going to have to pour a bunch of poison in your body. And, you know, that can ravage somebody. And obviously that doesn't seem like the best alt- or the best option. And so the idea of taking a, you know, alternative approach is much more like favorable for some people. And not just that financially, I think the general medical industry, pharmaceutical industry really bankrupts people. So if I can pay 15 bucks for this, for, you know, these supplements that, you know, might turn my tongue orange, but like, I'm gonna, you know, cure my whatever, then let me at least try. Um, Right. And I think there are obviously some benefits about, you know, adapting your lifestyle, eating healthier, maybe exercising as you're able to, um, and like, you know, quitting smoking, doing things like that are obviously the way to go. But um, I think alternative medicine can, when it becomes harmful or when it becomes predatory, that's where um, kind of need to, to cut that off. Because I think there there are studies and there is proof that doing certain things for your health, just believing that it will help you does end up helping you. Yeah. But when it crosses the line and becomes harmful to you, you know, financially, not good for you not something that you should be putting in your body or when people knowingly are giving you incorrect information and just profiting off of that that's where the line needs to be drawn um so it's it's hard for me to say what's happening here um but it it does seem like there really is a predatory factor to it and that she was just profiting off of um spreading these lies to people which is not not great so i'm glad that the the justice system stepped in and find her and that she's no longer putting this information out there but who knows how many people were embracing this as fact as truth and might have ended up harming themselves in some way that's not good just talk to your doctors people run your stuff by your doctors and doctors be trustworthy yeah keep it real So mine is kind of similar-ish, and you'll probably um, at least recognize the case a little bit. It is from very recently. 
my case is on Elizabeth Holmes, uh, who is an American business person and uh, the founder and CEO of the now defunct health tech company, Theranos. And I have no idea if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but I'm going with Theranos. I have a, a funny interjection. Sure. So did you listen to the podcast about Elizabeth Elizabeth Holmes at all? No, I didn't know that there was one. So you should maybe check it out. It's been a while since I listened to it. I think it was maybe like a year ago, but... um. I was talking to my friends at work about it and I was calling the company, I think I called it Theranos, which is the bad guy from those like Marvel movies. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, she had this company. It was like Theranos. Have you ever heard of it? (laughs) And I didn't realize till after the fact that I completely messed up the name and was talking about something completely different. I mean, it's spelled the same, so I don't... (laughs) Oh, that makes me feel better. Yeah. But I listened to a podcast about it. I wasn't reading it. Oh, yeah. All right. (laughs) I'm just ignorant. All right. Continue. Continue. I think it's, I I possibly am pronouncing it wrong. But yeah. Uh, So growing up, Elizabeth seems to have had a pretty um, privileged upbringing. Her dad was um, VP at Enron, which is a major energy company. And her mom was a congressional committee staffer. Uh, She attended a very prestigious private prep school in texas the school's name was saint the saint john's school and i actually googled it and the first thing that came up was an article a recent article from like february and basically apparently in the recent year no other school sent more students to harvard princeton and mit than this school just to kind of give you a little frame of reference of so it's like chilton in real life, yes, it's 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 the Chilton of, of the South. It's, <laughs> yeah, gotta bring it back to the Gilmore Girls. Okay, okay. With that in mind, I think it's important to highlight a lot of the privileges that Elizabeth was privy to. Um, so when she was in high school, she actually started her first company, and it sold C plus plus compilers to Chinese universities. I have no idea what C plus plus compilers are. Sounds thrilling. Um, and so naturally, her parents figured that she needed private in-home mandarin chinese tutoring of course and so that tutoring actually led way to her being able to attend stanford's summer mandarin program while she was still in high school i don't know if that program is generally open to high schoolers i don't know anything about the program and so from there she actually eventually went on to attend stanford and she majored in chemical engineering after her after her freshman year she filed her first patent application on a wearable drug delivery patch. Um, So soon after that, she dropped out of college and she used the rest of her tuition money to start a healthcare tech company. Um, So height of privilege there a little bit. Um, And so from there, she, that's when she created the company Theranos. And I believe that was about 2003. And so the company was created with the intention of democratizing healthcare, which I think that's kind of an idea that a lot of people can get behind, especially when we think about how companies um, are really profiting on people being sick and being predatory. Another idea behind her company was to perform blood tests using basically a single drop of blood. And that was inspired by her fear of needles. And personally, as somebody who... I cannot do needles. I can barely do a finger prick. 
I really can get behind the idea of a company that could do that. I right. just did my first blood draw in life. Oh my god. Wait, you did? Yeah. I'm so proud of you. I like passed out and like peed myself like it was horrible. <laughs> Wait, did I tell you I recently gave blood for the first time and I almost fainted? It made me think of you. I could I could never, yeah. Um, so even when I went to the, my doctor, like she had already been trying to convince me for like two years to do blood work. <laughs> and finally I was like, all right, but you need to take all the blood that you like any possible test that you could ever think to test for test for it today because I'm never doing that again. <laughs> and so, I mean, if there's, I'm option, not cleaning up your urine again. <laughs> And so if there would, if there was like an option to like, just, you know, one single drop and it would tell you all of these things, like I would, I'd be first in line for that. Um, Absolutely. Probably not first, but I'd be in the line at some point. Um, And so, um, so yeah, she had this idea that she could create a device that could test a single drop of blood and give you all of this information um, about the patient. So she pitched the idea to a number of people at Stanford, and many of them told her that what she was trying to do was not possible. Um, but eventually, she pitched it to Channing Robertson, who was her advisor and the dean at the School of Engineering. And he got behind the idea, and he was the first person to join the her board of directors, and he introduced her to a bunch of venture capitalists. And I'll be honest, venture capitalist is like one of those phrases that I hear. It's like, random people on the bachelor's like job description or whatever i think they're just people with money that put money in things i don't know i think that's it's like a fancy name for that because you can't you don't want to put that on your resume like i just have a lot of i have so much money that i just throw it at whatever i feel like yeah i don't know (laughs) but uh, yeah and so a random like kind of side note here that I read from a few different sources was that apparently in most of her appearances, she tended to speak in a very deep like baritone voice. Mm-hmm. But apparently her voice is actually several octaves higher and she like just puts that voice on. She just talks lower, which is really interesting to me. I, I think I'm somebody who has kind of an deep voice and I couldn't imagine like I don't know I don't I don't feel like the depth of my voice is like a desirable like thing um I get that though I get that a little bit I feel like I I mean not to the extent that she did because I have heard her talk but I will when I'm in like business type meetings or talking to someone professionally I do try to lower my voice to sound older than I am huh. but that's maybe just an insecurity on my part and I do want to sound older than I am because in the field that I'm in it's not great to be like a young person who doesn't know what they're doing so I relate to that she took it to like an extreme though that's really interesting so I'm like on the complete other side of that where I have had times you know, with like our um, job that we used to do when I'd have to make a lot of calls. Mm -hmm. I, when I first started doing it, I found myself making my voice, trying to like sound a little nicer, quote unquote. And so (laughs) I would like try to soften my voice up a little bit and like make it less deep, 
Um, so I don't know. It's a very interesting thing. So, so the reason I find her that interesting that she was deepening her voice other than the fact that she was just making it deeper is that she also, I guess, went out of her way to like emulate Steve Jobs by like only ever wearing like black turtlenecks and um, things like that. And so for me, it just kind of speaks to her kind of playing a part and mm-hmm. being a little inauthentic. Makes sense. Yeah. And so by the end of the following year, um, so I'm think uh, so about 2004, uh, Elizabeth had raised six million dollars to fund the company, and that grew to 92 million by the end of 2010. Wow. For 10 years, the company didn't have a website, and there were never any press releases or anything like that. Um, for the most part, the company flew very under the radar until they partnered with Walgreens to begin in-store blood collection centers. And at that point, news of the company kind of blew up. Um, Elizabeth gained quite a bit of acclaim. Forbes even named her the youngest and richest self-made female billionaire in America at the time. I always find that interesting. (laughs) I don't understand how we define self-made. Well, if Kylie Jenner is a self-made billionaire then exactly i'm not too sure because i'm like she took her tuition money and then she immediately got investors to i don't understand how we're making how oh did did you watch or have you heard of self-made on netflix yeah i've seen it i have a lot of opinions (laughs) but see that is like that's self-made genuine self-made yes billionaire yes yes whereas kylie like it's just very polarized maybe we can talk about this more later too but see as i was watching that i was like okay when I think of self-made, I think of something like that. Not like your mom and dad and sisters had a lot of money to give you. I agree. So by the end of 2014, the company had raised more than $400 million. Uh, and she had deals with major health companies to use uh, her company's technology. Sometime around 2014 or 2015, a journalist with the Wall Street Journal named John Carreyrou um got a tip from a medical expert about the device that Elizabeth's company was you know claiming to have made. Basically the tip was some was that something seemed a little fishy and so John started a secret investigation of Elizabeth's company. Uh, he was able to get in contact with ex-employees who gave him company documents. And when Elizabeth found out about this, she tried everything in her power in the form of legal threats through her lawyer to get John and the Wall Street Journal to stop their investigation. But in October 2015, John's article on Elizabeth's company was published. It basically revealed that the device Elizabeth had created was actually giving incorrect or inaccurate results and that the company was secretly relying on dice on devices that were made by other companies uh, for its testing. And so the articles about Elizabeth's scam um, continued and uh, John actually published a book about it called Bad Blood Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. And I think um, Bad Blood is perfect pun. I like it. (laughs) Um, And so despite Elizabeth's denials of the claims made by John, other other news outlets uh, began investigating her company and the device she claimed to have created. By mid-2016, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services banned Elizabeth from owning, operating, or directing any blood testing service for for two years. That doesn't seem like long enough. Only two years? I guess at that time, they were still kind of in the investigation phase, though. 
Okay. Um, yeah. So companies that had previously partnered with um, Elizabeth's company began ending their partnerships. The state of Arizona sued Elizabeth and Theranos. Theranos. And so did the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC. And it turns out that she and the company were claiming to have $100 million in revenue flow, but they had only ever actually made $100,000. That's a big difference. Yeah. Um, So that does not include like what people were investing into her company. And so as of today, when we're recording this, um, her case isn't completely over yet. She and Ramesh Balwani, uh, who was the president of the company, and actually, despite being 19 years older than her, was also her lover or something um, from the time that she was 19 to um, the time that the company blew up. They both have been charged on nine counts of wire fraud and two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. If Elizabeth is found guilty, she could end up in prison for 20 years. Um, The case is set to begin at the end of July 2020, so this year. Um, Given the current, like, COVID-19 crisis, pandemic. There might be a delay on that one. Yeah, yeah, it's very possible that it could be delayed, um, but let's all just hope justice will be served. Yeah, that's that case is definitely an interesting one. I kind of was thinking a little bit like motive wise. Um, I think it's very I think I think it could be pretty simple to just be like, all right, this is somebody who was probably raised without consequences and didn't really consider the consequences of her actions. So the author who exposed her um, and then wrote the book Bad Blood, I think he suggests that she might be a sociopath. It could be. His idea behind that is that she seemingly has no conscience, but um, I am not a psychologist yet, so <laughs> and I don't know her to assess her, so. <laughs> this is true. But I mean, that just goes to show the the other side of it, because when we think of psychopaths, when we think of sociopaths, I feel like the number one, you know, you just assume that they're all murderers. Serial killers, yeah. Exactly. But there are other cases of this where people still do great amounts of harm to others and, you know, benefit personally from, from the damage they cause, but... Um, they're not necessarily out there murdering people. Yeah, exactly. I think she uh, has been named by uh, Fortune um, as one of the world's most disappointing leaders. So that's nice. Well, yeah, especially when I first heard about this case, what was so frustrating is that it's already so difficult for women to be taken seriously. And I think that, you know, it's great that she was like able to get as as far as she did because I do think that it's it's not as easy for women to you know start their own companies to kind of break out in in these fields and it's especially disappointing when someone completely takes advantage of of others and makes a bad name um so if you know another woman was trying to rise up to you know do good things she might be compared to to what Elizabeth yeah. did and that just that's what makes me the most frustrated about this case i think is that you're not you're not further almost that. making it harder for women who might yeah. come next and just it's it's unfortunate that rather than 
being an example of like how this can be done the right way that she kind of took advantage and almost broke the ladder a little bit for the people coming behind her so yeah exactly um that's such a good one i looked it up the podcast is called the dropout if if you're interested or if any of our listeners want to hear more about elizabeth holmes because it is such a fascinating case and there's just so much to it um yeah it's 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 a nice series to kind of binge through especially if you're stuck at home and not able to do much um but yeah women what the heck what the heck's going on Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741-741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.